Hi everyone and welcome to Working Class Voices Season 2. I'm Adam Williams and in this season I'll be talking with working class people like myself about some of the great work they either have done or are currently doing in regards to the environment and climate related issues. In this episode I'm joined by Terry McTurnan who is a project lead at Dartwood Crew which is a community group in Fergislet in Scotland. Terry, welcome to the show mate. How are we doing Adam, okay? I'm very good. So just a little bit of context for the audience. Uh, we did chat last year, I think it was, for potentially coming on to work, um, Working Class Voices Season 1. Uh, but I really wanted to discuss uh, with people that identified as working class who weren't in the environment back then. So this one is all about working class people who are working in the environmental movement. And so you were the top of the list for this one, Terry. So thank you so much for coming on, pal. Okay, well, it must be the first list I've ever been top of, other than, <laughs> other than a creditors list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, on this season, Terry, uh, I am looking for different kinds of people that are doing different kinds of work. And with you, I've been really sort of inspired to hear about your community work in a place in Scotland called Fergusley. Um, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Fergusley? And also, there is an interesting story about what, what sort of activated you to get involved in community in, in your area. So, um, do you want to just explain some of that, Paul? Sure. My name's Terry McTernan. I'm a community activist based in Fergusley Park. Just about to start my third year at the University of Glasgow, doing a Bachelor of Arts in Community Development. I'm the current chairperson of the Fergusley Community Council, which I suppose is the the very beginning of this journey um, and also as you've rightfully said the project lead and elected secretary of its environmental subsidiary which is Darkwood Crew uh, but I also work part-time uh, within the community as a community development worker based within the Tannehill Centre which acts if you like as that uh, community hub anchor based uh, anchor type organisation based within the community. Yeah, I suppose to answer your question more directly, the the the, the straw that broke the fine uh, the ca- finally broke the camel's back for me really was I just by complete chance happened to go into my local convenience store one day. You know, you've got the the kind of billboard type yeah. advertising the headlines of the local rag and stuff, and of course our our local Paisley Daily Express front page news: love is in the air, except if you live in Fergusley Park. I mean, I genuinely <laughs> couldn't believe it. I thought, what? What on earth is going on? <laughs> And it, it was, was on, on Valentine's Day, yes, you've had you, to you, say, yeah. You took the words right from my mouth. It was on Valentine's Day. Now, I was already a bit, a bit cross that I hadn't, either the mealman was late or I hadn't received my card yet. So it, there was already an axe to grind yeah, it. But yeah, I, just, yeah. I just thought, well, I just thought, what an unnecessary yeah, kind of boot to any community. Yeah, do you course. know what I mean? And uh, for me, it was a continuation of that already very long established negative narrative that existed about my community. And I just thought to myself, no, this, this something has to give here. So I, I proactively wrote to the editor, to my astonishment, and to his credit, they published the entire email. You know, normally they could um, cut and edit these things to make them more yeah, palatable no for the that. audience. But they, they printed the whole thing and subsequently followed it up with a phone call, which I thought was quite touchy-feely. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically claiming that we can only print the stories that we're given. Uh, so I made a determined effort to to at least submit two positive stories about Fergusley at least every week since then. And I have to say they, they've responded really, really well. They're very up for promoting all that is good in Fergusley Park, um, whilst at the same time obviously having an obligation to report 
um, certain negative aspects of our community, which sadly do exist as well. So again, just for context for the audience, so whereabouts in Scotland is Fergus Lee Park? Um, and what kind of background does it have? What kind of um, demographic does it have? What has it historically been a part of? What kind of work's been historically there? Sure. Um, Fergusley Park is essentially a, a small housing scheme, as we, as we term them in Scotland, um, in the Paisley Northwest region uh, in Renfrewshire, so just seven miles south of Glasgow. It's a stone's throw away from Glasgow Airport, essentially. Sadly, my entire life, the the community has been undergoing what could only be regarded a seemingly never-ending regeneration process, focusing primarily on the economic, the physical and the social regeneration. And I would argue that, yeah, the physical regeneration, is, is you can see it with your eyes. Um, the economic regeneration is slightly questionable, um, but certainly the social regeneration was always the, the, the kind of lesser thought of strand mm -hmm. of those various processes. So since 1959, in effect, it has been consistently highlighted as an area of de high deprivation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's more modern day speak. Previously, it was areas of priority treatment, social inclusion partnership areas. Um, and I'm trying to think what the other one just off the top of my head. I can't remember what that is now, but... And more yeah, recently, the under yeah, the yeah. since devolution, it's now regarded as uh, the most deprived community in Scotland. Now, right. that, for that publication, the SIMD figures it's referred to, that publication happens every four years. Mm -hmm. We've been literally bottom of the rung, uh, bottom rung of the ladder since 2012, although we have saw incremental increase mm -hmm. uh, in our, our rankings there um, in the publication there just in 2020. And I see no coincidence in that incremental progress um, correlating with the, if you like, the erection or the, the reconvening of Fergusley Community Council in the sense that for 20 years previous to that, there was certainly a growing feeling that things were being done to the community rather than being done in conjunction with those who lived here. Yeah. So I suppose grandiose ideas can look fantastic in paper, but if they're not relevant to the people to whom they're applicable to, we have a phrase for that in Scotland, the interest of your listeners' uh, ears, I, I shall share that, but I'm sure they can draw their own conclusion. <laughs> You're wasting your time, really, aren't you? So yeah. um, I suppose that's been part of the driving force for myself. It's to ensure mm -hmm. that local people continue to be at the heart of the profound uh, kind of decision pro decision making processes rather that profoundly impact their lives and for a long long time that wasn't the case yeah and yet the powers that be would consistently sit there scratching their head thinking why is this not working no no i, I totally hear that and i do want to explore that I just just again first of all a bit more context so was there any particular trade or industry that was attached to fergusley park prior to um, that economic money being sucked out of the community. what What's the traditional trade or the traditional job that's been attached to Fergusley Park in the past? Sure. Fergusley Park has become synonymous, I suppose, in, in, in times gone by, certainly before my era, with the, the, the cotton works and the thread works. Okay, yeah. Um, so that, that was the, the foundational industry, yeah. if you like, of Paisley as a town, but certainly Fergusley had its whole a whole mill named after it and stuff like that. Anyone who lived in Fergusley tended to work in the mills. Got yeah. Then when that industry came to its demise, essentially everyone jumped ship over to Roots of Linwood. So it was yeah. very car manufacturing. We decided to take our uh, our pollution a wee bit further, less localised, let, yeah. let's push it nationwide. And then when that industry came to its demise, 
Sadly, most folks transferred over to what is now Glasgow International Airport. Got you. Ah, decided yes. to go global with yes, our pollution yes. at that point. So is, um, is the airport so, the main sort of um, job creator in, in Fergusley Park? Um, sadly, not, simply because the, 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 the built capital within our community is quite prohibitive in terms of folks being able to gain access to it. There's a big there's a motorway, the M8 motorway, kind of separates us from uh, the actual airport itself. So it's quite difficult to get to um, if you don't drive. Uh, and again, I would highlight that there's certainly an increase in driver uh, or car ownership within the area, a dramatic increase. But again, there are always those who, who perhaps still are not able to afford a car. Yeah, no, of course, yeah. Um, so, you know, what I love about sort of Fergusley is that as much as it's a very old, like you say, it was an old mill town, really. Um, and once the cotton industry went went away, um, it sounds like it never really recovered. I never had the right infrastructure put in place so that it can be elevated like everywhere else. What kind of projects have been sort of imposed on Fergusley to, to try and raise it economically? I think what's interesting is I'm halfway through my community development degree, so I'm able to put words to uh, to some of the thoughts that I, I've always had yeah. and attach theory to that as well. So it's not just some half-wit from Figgy Park that's espousing his own thoughts. It's actually backed up with... So I suppose to answer your question directly, in times gone by, there was, I said, when I, we spoke earlier, there was a lot of concentration, a lot of focus on the physical regeneration because mm-hmm. people were living in very slum-like conditions, tenement yeah. flats, all those stereotypical images that that you can't automatically conjure when you think of a, a deprived community. Yeah. Um, and of course, there was the economic regeneration because there was very high levels of un- unemployment, as you've rightfully observed there, the demise of the cotton industry and the roots of Linwood uh, car manufacturing plants and stuff like that had devastating consequences, social consequences on uh, the local community. That's what that's what gave rise to generational mm. unemployment, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, and as in many cases, the reason we have still that some resemblance of entrenched poverty within the community. So you're quite right. It's about looking at the history, understanding the history about, and how you you take that forward. So some of the the focus before was on making things look good. Yeah. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is if you take a family, kind of generational, multi-generational unemployment out of a run-down, no, ill-maintained property and put them into a brand new property, you need, you need to... There needs to be a social regeneration that accompanies that, or you end up just going round a cycle and like a hamster caught in a wheel. If you yeah, like, no, I totally, so, I totally hear that. Yeah, yeah, and in many ways, communities get sort of left to themselves, or almost like we'll give you the the physical aspects of a community, and it's up to you to sort of work out how your community is still going to run. But what you often find is that, it, you know. As, there's as much effort should be put into the physical sides of a community. That's the risk of social as well, because you know it's going to it's going to cost it's going to um, include funds and funding, yeah, to get people together to open up a community centre to have social aspects within a community. It's not just a case of all oh, right, you've always been a community, just get on with it. We'll build you some houses when the last stock starts to fall down, which is generally the the pattern, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and what, what we're finding now, I suppose, is that there's been a huge demography change. 
We're a much more diverse community than we've ever been before. Um, we There are more people now working within the community than at any time before. Um, there's more people obviously paying full rent, full council tax, full of, rather than being subsidised by the government and stuff like that. So I suppose yeah. in certain areas, those regeneration strategies have absolutely been successful. Um, the economic and the physical are the two aspects that I would say absolutely did make quite sizable achievements. It was the social uh, regeneration that always was the, the, the wee brother, the, the kind of forgotten brother of the three. Um, and I suppose that's, that's where in many kind of examples Fergus Lee is almost if you like trying to play catch up and I, I suppose that's where we take real comfort in the fact I suppose it's why we've been so kind of environmentally focused as well um, because it's one of the areas one of the very few areas that Fergus Lee can actually demonstrate that it's maybe slightly ahead of the game if yeah. that makes sense yeah 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 um, because many many of the, the projects that we're responsible for delivering at the coal face uh, are very poverty tackling and ethos but mm. they're absolutely environmentally driven um, with a complete understanding that a number of sustainable solutions are already under our nose we don't need to be going to find fanciful strategies sometimes mm. a scratch where itch approach yeah. is much more direct it's much more wider reaching and it's much more it has a higher propensity for a positive outcome at the end of it whether that outcome be in regards to the climate change emergency, whether that be in regards to meeting local needs just within the community. But I suppose the overall arching aim of Dartwood Crew is to make the otherwise abstract concept of climate change relevant to local yes. need yeah. with a broader view of then meeting those needs in a sustainable and dignified way. And I know that sounds all very cliche, but I suppose it, what I'm trying to say in kind of layman's terms is that many of the, the cultural practices of communities like Fergus for the Park, uh, which in times gone by have been sneered at, looked down upon, mm -hmm. um, kind of denigrated, if you like, seen, seen as something not important or something that only poor people do. Um, now heralded against the backdrop of a climate change emergency and a kind of COVID recovery programme, wellbeing recovery, etc., now heralded the shining examples of how we should all be living our lives. So it really does raise that broader question about well, who's had it right all along. And I suppose mm -hmm. that was why I was very eager to take part in this particular podcast, because I believe that there are lessons can be learned in regards to the climate change emergency from yeah. communities like Fergusley Park. There's a lot to be learned from the frugality, which, yes, arguably was born from necessity, but there is still lessons to be learned from the frugality that exists within communities like Fergusley Park. And I suppose to not put too fine a point, and this is perhaps the best platform that I'm able to openly and comfortably say this, it's great to see Extinction Rebellion grab the news headlines, scale the glass walls at the BBC. But if we, Margaret, watching the Six O'Clock News doesn't understand what that's about, that doesn't speak to her in a language she understands, mm -hmm. then again, that's a lost opportunity. That's a lost opportunity because it hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't changed anyone's mind. In fact, it's shone a light on your middle class yuppie bus run, but it hasn't, it hasn't actually changed anything within the grassroots communities. Yeah. So things like, oh, my mum's got a new washing machine just because she wanted one. Uh, there's a, a girl round the corner could still use my old one. That, that was part of life for me growing up as a child in this yeah. community. So yeah. all we've done with our 
reduce, reuse, recycle Fergusley initiative, which I'm sure we'll come on to, but it's a multi-faceted mm-hmm. um, initiative in Fergusley Park, very cleverly designed and very all uh, entirely locally led. Um, it, it, for me, that is about making it relevant. Climate change is something that affects us all. Um, we've been doing a lot of that all our lives, born from necessity, minimising the food waste. All we've done is ramp that up almost an industrial scale now. Uh, And that in itself has a real confidence-boosting effect on the community itself. Can you imagine living in a community that for 60 years you've been told you've had it all wrong? In fact, we're going to have to parachute these professionals into you to show you how to bring up your your children properly and stuff. I mean, you just don't know how to live there. And then for 60 years later, apparently to be ahead of the game and in actual fact be a shining example to all, that can be very confusing for people, um, particularly if for 20 years before they were actively prohibited from being participant in those yeah. processes. Now they're yeah. at the helm of those processes. Mm. So that takes a wee while. That That's a cultural shift. That takes a wee while for folks to become accustomed to and to get yeah. used to. Terry, before we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of the work that you do, I just want to circle back a bit because I think it's this is, to me, is really fascinating. So, you know, there was a bit of a, a, a bolt of lightning for you when you walked into that paper shop and, and you, you saw that actually the community that, that you are from is being represented in a certain way. And then you went, oh, and you were right, I'm going to show, yeah, what the real sort of Fergusley is. So what were, what was you doing at that time? That's your first question when you read that newspaper. What was your background then? Yeah. But then also, what were the the tangible steps from reading a newspaper, not being happy with what it's saying about your community, Terry, yeah? And going, I'm going to now do something about this, yeah? And those A, Bs and Cs. So so first question is, what was your background? What were you when you, before you, when you walked into that news agent, yeah? And then when you read that and you said, I'm going to start doing stuff, what was it that you, what was the A, B, Cs of doing that stuff? I suppose, in a nutshell, um, I was a stereotypical man living in a housing scheme, very limited opportunities at my disposal at that particular time. I recall distinctly I happened to be working for EasyJet at the airport as ground staff, um, still continued with some community activism-based stuff. Um, just immediately prior to that job, however, I had been involved in a, a local community project, which was a, a kind of joint initiative between the local church and the local community. Uh, that was very genuine in its intent, and it certainly stood out from the many disingenuous initiatives and agencies who who masqueraded, frankly, as the provider of great solutions at that particular time, but who often entrenched the very issues that they had been tasked with challenging, namely poverty. Um, I'm 43 years old. This community has been getting regenerated my entire life. If we're planning a wedding, a funeral, a bar mitzvah for that matter, there'd be a beginning, a middle and an end. There doesn't, or at that time, there certainly appeared to be no end in sight. And arguably, Fergusley Park was the original Petra dish for the poverty industry. And we've just never been able to shake it off since. Um, and I suppose that was the beauty. And I'm very hesitant to say this because I'm conscious that not everyone's experience of the pandemic was the same. But that was the beauty of the pandemic. The pandemic was a literal clearing of the decks. Everybody was furloughed and sent up the road. So even the local Church of Scotland minister, furloughed, sent up the road. Right? So that actually allowed 
ironically, conversely, that was the most empowering thing to ever happen in the community. Because right. I grew up in a community where every street had its own tenants association. You had play schemes for kids in the yeah. summer. You, yeah. So when I was reading, now that I'm at uni, I'm doing a lot of research, reading a lot of, kind of academic papers, kind of, certainly uh, evaluation type documents, etc., of these regeneration attempts, they bear no correlation to my lived experience. In fact, you could say it's almost a kind of very intellectual and moral way of blaming the community for its own circumstance. And in actual mm. fact, that's not true at all. What my main take over the past five years certainly has been that despite that almost 60 years of non-stop regeneration, the local population for whom that regeneration was originally intended still didn't possess the necessary skill set to be fully participant in that neoliberal capitalist community learning and development world that it found itself like that hamster in a wheel type scenario. Yeah. And I found that absolutely astonishing. I thought, how can for 60 years such a concerted effort be made to empower a community and at the end of that 60 years, the local people still not possess the skill set. And in fact, in these lovely documents, almost be blamed for their own circumstance. It, right, to me, it yeah, was a deliberate yeah. attempt to abdicate mm. local government and national government from their responsibilities, which, which was when you de-industrialised our town, you tore the heart out of it and you never followed it up with any appropriate support or recovery programme. In fact, what you did was you built a poverty industry around it, of which the community itself was not allowed to play any formal part. We were just to be participants on someone else's terms. Yeah. And that that was never going to succeed. That's, that's mm. from the birds, that mentality. Uh, and I suppose that that's what's acted as a real... Um, catalyst, I suppose, that at the grand old age of 41, I decided to go to the big school because that was something that I had written off 20 years ago. That was not part of my my, my plan now, um, if indeed there was a plan. <laughs> um, but but you get my meaning, I, I, and do, I suppose that I was do. the that, that gave me a personal confidence in what we were doing was actually a good thing. I yeah. could see organic support networks forming in the community groups forming, charitable organisations forming, but community-led boards of trustees comprising of members of the community, not one tokenistic member of the community with a handful of professionals wrapped around them. Genuinely, the whole board is made up of locally. So there's, there's three scales now in existence. Scales as Scottish charitable intermediary organisation. So it's, it's basically an, a company with charitable status. Um, Pals of the Priories, literally five women, completely regenerated a five-acre park, reinstalled a £120,000 play park, again in conjunction with the people who lived here, because that that's what made it relevant. Now regularly host a variety of fantastic community-based events in the community. Darkwood Crew, exactly the same. Two and a half-acre village green. That was the genesis of Darkwood Crew, if you like. It's now going on to host community markets and... We've now just established a, a, a community growing area locally and, and kind of partnership with the local authority. Um, there's the appliance and large furniture recycling initiative. So again, it's all that challenging poverty, but with that environmental thread woven through every aspect of it. Yeah. And I suppose it's it's 
I suppose one of the wider points I would make is quite often people used to come to Fergusley and look at Fergusley through a particular lens. So some an educational person would come and they would look through an educational lens or a housing lens or a, an addiction lens or a recovery lens or whatever. But in actual fact, as a community activist, I need to deal with the cumulative effects of all of those lenses yeah. every day. So I don't have the, the comfortability of looking through a single lens. I suppose it takes me back to that earlier point about the single mother, two kids struggling to feed the wains against a, a declared a backdrop, a declared climate change emergency and the local supermarkets throwing a ton of food into the bin. So all the opportunities were there. Yeah. Why have these opportunities not been taken advantage of long before now? If indeed the eradication of poverty, the true empowering of a community was, was at the heart of what we were doing, I'm, I'm not entirely confident that that was always at the heart of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you, you made a good point there about where people would come in, they'd have a very narrow lens and they'd be focusing on on one aspect or another. But as somebody who's in the community that's trying to look at it and its totality, it's almost like you had a sort of a bird's eye view of a, of a Fergusley Park, yeah, to, to understand what what's going on as, as a whole. So it sounds to me that, that COVID, like you say, on, on a sensitive level, as horrible as it was, for, for not only the UK, but the world. Um, even within those horrors, it sounds like there's there's been pockets around the world where, where there's been some good, you know, that's come out of that. And it sounds like when everybody kind of left Fergusley, all these professionals, and like you say, it was it, it left a, a void almost where, where community um, leaders like yourself could come into that void and, and say, actually, it's just us. What do we want to do? So what was like, what was the first meeting? Where was the first meeting? When you decided, right, it's time to get active. What was the, what did you do? What did you, did you advertise? Did you knock on doors? Did you hire the local community? What did you first discuss? Yep. What was that first I, spark? Well, I think I need to preface my answer uh, to that very direct question by reminding you that for 20 years, we had a level of apathy, which was off the scale yeah. We were perhaps the most consulted, yet least listened to community in the, in the country. Um, and it was all SIMD report focused, driven. We naturally, because of our positioning on these, what can only be regarded poverty league tables, mm-hmm. we naturally attracted, oh, all and sundry, every as every quasi-masquerader of great solutions. Um, so... It was a tough task, I won't lie. We had to take advantage of uh, tertiary-level tertiary local government legislation by campaigning to reconvene the Community Council, which had been in recess for 30 years beforehand. Wow. Um, and the re- again, it was given birth to as a real consequence of a, a feeling of being done to for 20 years rather than mm-hmm. done with. And so, yeah, there was a real, real apathy. We... Based on our population, for example, our community council, in line with the guidelines, must be a, a minimum of seven, but a maximum of 21. Um, so our first year, we got nine people willing to kind of raise their head above the parapet. I'm, I'm glad to say that we now have 15, and I should caveat that with telling you we are in the midst of a four-week election period, so I don't know what that's going to look like in four weeks' time. I'd okay. like to think it would have increased again, but yeah. I suppose only time will tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I go back to that. You see how those regeneration attempts, there was no local participation. Now we have that quite a high level of local participation. And I speak about the community council, that's the umbrella organisation. 
when I speak about nine members or the 15 members, those 15 members all come from other organisations within the community. The three skills, the, the the women's group that runs on a Wednesday night, the, the seniors lunch club that runs three times per week. Yeah. So they come from every corner um, so that essentially we, we, we speak well, hopefully we speak jointly as one one individual voice rather than perhaps that fractured type community that in, in times gone by we, we certainly could have been described as. So again, I, do, I really want to sort of hone in on this. So going back to your first tangible actions. So how did you, as Terra, connect with your neighbours, with your friends to form an action group or a community group or a community project? And what was it and what was the first meeting? Well, we, we, we reconvened the community council. To my astonishment, there was 45 people turned up. So I thought, oh, here we go. We're in for a party. Uh, because you, you never know what, what's motivating people to come along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they pissed off with the council. and oh, I, So I had a whole kind of chain of thought of, what people were going to be concerned about. Yeah. And to my absolute astonishment, frankly, it was the number one concern by people in Scotland's most deprived community, I might add, mm-hmm. was the local environment. Now, you could have blown me down with a feather because <laughs> I, certainly, I certainly never entered into this game as some sort of environmental crusade. In mm-hmm. fact, quite the opposite. I was coming at it from a, a, a poverty lens, yeah. those lenses we were talking yeah, about yeah, before. Yeah, I was yeah. coming at it from a poverty lens. Yeah. But it became clear very, very quick, from the first kick of the ball, frankly, that the number one concern was the local environment, the lack of maintenance, the fly tipping, the, the, the kind of broken window syndrome, if you like, the broken window theory. Our community looks like shit, so that's why people continue to treat it like shit mm-hmm. and still look at it and describe it as shit. So what can we do to tackle that challenge or challenge that negative narrative? Well, we need to tidy it up. We can't challenge that shit negative attitude, uh, perception if it continues to look shit. So um, me and a, a, a fellow member of the community council went away and acted like some quasi-community development-based type workers, went up to the local park, the five-acre park, which sits literally in the heart of the community, and started to kind of tidy it up, clean it up before you knew it. Over a six or seven-month period, the entire park was completely regenerated. We had re- rediscovered paths that had been lost for 20 years. Um, and that's just that's what started the whole interest. Um, people were seeing direct action. It was taking form in litter picks, but then more extensive stuff. I mean, I'm talking about five women. I mean, regenerated a five-acre park with 20 quid's worth of tools they've bought from B&M. Wow. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. I mean, mm. the work that they were doing was on an epic scale. You now see there's a memorial garden, there's a children's play area, there's a, a kind of fairy garden, there's a, an outdoor gym. I mean, they've they've run with it like a dog with a burst ball, as my granny used to say. <laughs> um, I mean, they really have run with it and, and turned right. this otherwise abandoned park into really the centrepiece of the community. That's awesome. And you are also, the, you are the lead of Dartwood Crew Project. Now, I was looking on the website there, and it has sort of five uh, core tenants, don't it? One's food insecurity, fuel, fuel poverty, isolation loneliness, uh, mental health positivity, and the local environment. Now, what I like about Fergusley Park, it really seems to be, but separate from other projects that I've seen, it doesn't just 
treat environmental issues as either a caveat, yeah, or almost like a tick box exercise. It seems with maybe with your lead, and uh, maybe you want to talk about that, that things like the climate crisis um, are discussions that are openly had and you somehow connect the climate crisis to your community as an intrinsic necessity of understanding because the truth of the matter is, Terry, and you'll know this, throughout the world, it's working class communities that hit first and hit hardest when it comes to the climate crisis. Um, yeah. And that is something that our communities need to know, don't we? So when did when did those sort of deeper conversations about the climate crisis and, and um, you know, discussions and maybe work around that, when did that come into it and how has it been been developing ever since? I think that the, the main event that took place was that was COP26 and the run up to COP26, I think that focused all our minds on what we were actually doing. And what it allowed us to do was, if you like, rebrand and repackage both pre and post COVID activity, roll it all into the one ball and then reframe it as reduce, reuse, recycle Fergusly so that it was all the one thing. It wasn't all these, as you say, these different strands. It was one initiative which was environmentally driven but also looking, as you say, for those other four to tackle poor mental health locally to address the issues of persistent, long-standing, historical food insecurity and fuel poverty issues um, to improve green spaces. That in itself is promoting positive mental health, giving access, food insecurity, fuel poverty and access to, to safe and accessible green spaces. They are the priorities of urban communities like Fergusley Park. Now, that's been confirmed to us over and over and over again. And I suppose it takes us back to what we were talking about earlier. Rather than perceived needs, it's rather a focus on actual needs. And yeah. I can lambast Mary about minute, reducing her shower time by five minutes a day and she'll save us 2.6 metric ton of carbon a year. Mary doesn't understand what I'm saying. Mary yeah. switched off halfway through that sentence. Mm -hmm. She doesn't, it speaks to her in a language she doesn't understand, whereas Mary's also experiencing fuel poverty. Yeah. If Mary learns that she's saving three quid a week from her electricity meter, all of a sudden Mary's all ears. So it's about speaking to people in a language that they understand. Yeah. Food insecurity. I'll regularly receive a Tupperware dish, a homemade soup, for example, from my neighbour across the, 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 the garden fence. Because that's the social capital that exists in a community like Fergusley yeah. Park. Again, yeah. born from necessity, but serves as a real lesson about how we actually practically minimise that food waste while tackling poverty and not all just st stay in our own individual silos, but actually learn from each other. Um, whether you're looking at food insecurity, whether you're looking at the environment, they're not two separate things. They're, they're both the same. Um, and I suppose Fergusley seeks to demonstrate that on a daily basis. So we have a group of volunteers um, who literally drive 26 miles around Renfrewshire every day, visiting a variety of supermarkets, other high street stores, collecting all the surplus food, bring it back, store it appropriately. That often means that we might need to cook it in order to extend its life uh, span a little, a little longer. And then that's made available to local people uh, within the context of a community market. You'll notice I haven't used the word pantry or food bank because this isn't about beating poor people with a poverty stick. This is yeah. about 
a celebration of the sustainable solutions identified by local people themselves against perhaps the most horrendous backdrop, which in our case happened to be a global pandemic, but that local people, food insecurity is now all but eradicated. It's, certainly if there is anyone going hungry in our community, it's entirely unnecessary, that's yeah, for sure. That's um, fuel poverty is still a big issue just mm. because of the, the, the current economic climate that, that we live in. Um, but again, there are fantastic solutions that have been identified locally, a local community hub, the Tannahill Centre, hosting what our local authority called Winter Connections, but we've continued that fantastic engagement programme throughout the course of the year because we saw the real benefits that that was bringing to local people. Um, sometimes that's just about allowing someone in to charge up their mobile phone. It can be something as basic yeah. as that. Yeah. Um, but it's just about being there for people and meeting people where they're at uh, and then demonstrating that climate change isn't that airy-fairy abstract concept that doesn't affect you in Fergusley Park because you'll also understand that when you're trying to speak to people who are struggling to feed their veins and keep the lights on the, the, the fires in Italy perhaps are the number one concern for the people Do you know what I mean? yeah. got, it, it's not high up on their priority so it's about demonstrating that and making that relevant to them yeah. and yeah the, the fires in Italy they aren't affecting you but the rising waters in the west of Scotland absolutely are. And Extinction Rebellion, a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, published a kind of mapping exercise that they'd carried out. And if we continued at the rate that we're continuing, then Fergusley Park, within the next 25 years, wouldn't exist. We'd be underwater. Yeah. So it's about having those conversations, but in a way that's relevant. Presenting someone with a map saying, this is what we're going to look like in 25 years. It's yeah. just a picture. It's just about a paper. It's just yeah. a picture. And another really important thing as well, which I think is, is a real strength of working class communities, um, is if climate change does hit Fergusley Park and other working class communities, the way that we get through it is through the resilience of our social connections within our communities. If we're all atomized and individualized and we don't know our neighbors from Adam and whatnot, yet yeah, we're not going to, <laughs> to put a too blunt a word and we're not going to survive because it's it's the, the power of working class communities is that community resistance whether that's to do with state power when we want change but also climate change because as like as i said before working class communities are hit first and hardest and those that get through it are the ones that are at the tightest knitted communities that know each other, know what its strengths and its weaknesses are. And it's a real, it's going to be a real buffer for the adaptation of climate change, isn't it? You're absolutely right. And again, I, I offer the, the, the pandemic as a, a fine example of that because essentially I can remember the same, the same local rag that was given it big licks about partly there being no lovers in the air in Fergusley Park. That same paper also printed uh, front page news as well, just on the onset of the pandemic, that how it was predicted that communities like Fergusley Park would would have two and a half times the mortality rate. The average mortality rate across the UK, now we weren't even near that, nowhere near that. And I would, I would argue that exactly the same reasons that you've offered there, it's because of those intrinsic links. It's because of the, that social capital that exists. Yeah. Um, again, in many, many instances, born from necessity. Margaret couldn't go to work if London next door didn't look after the wains after they come in for school. And I regularly see 
Barbara flip-flopping along the street to give Margaret her lunch with a foil lid yeah. over the top because she's just out of the hospital. She's not been keeping too clever over recent days. And that's just what, what others would term rallying round in term, times of need was everyday life in Fergusley. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's not anything that I per se have done. I knew that already existed. It just needed Pope with a stick. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the everyday life of humanity prior to capitalism. Let's be honest. Um, yes, it was. Just just a quick question, sir. I should have asked at the beginning. What's the population of Fergusle? There's four thousand one hundred of us here. Yeah, so it's not it's not tiny. You know what I mean? It's a certain it's a substantial amount of people. Um, and also, well, just a couple of um, I just want to highlight some other amazing schemes you've done. So tell us about the bike scheme. Uh, which is obviously, you know, more bikes on the roads means less cars and whatnot. And also, which is very important for humans, you hate people that weren't able to, to travel, you know, medium to long distances now can. So tell us about the bike scheme, mate. Yep, absolutely. I think it, the, the own your bike, um, own, O-W-N, although we would say the word own your bike as part of our Scottish vernacular, yeah. get on your bike, on your bike. So it's a kind of play on words, but it's essentially stemmed from those initial cleanup exercises within yeah. the community, those regenerating those green spaces. We identified there was bike frames, old bikes, etc., lying in almost every driveway in the community, every green space, there was abandoned bikes. And Another community council member, Mark Small, he's quite technical, he's quite engineering, he's a bit of a bike buff as well, he kind of likes his motorbikes and stuff, and he thought, there's something in this, so he was asking questions, why are you not using that, I don't know how to repair it, I don't know how to repair it, or I, I can't afford to repair it, it's, it's not high up my list of priorities just now, so that's what gave birth to what started off a wee weekly group where people came together, learned from each other on how to repair their bikes, make use of all this scrap metal that was lying all over the community, literally uh, recycled all these bikes. Own Your Bike is now a recognised charity of its own. It has oh, an right. established cycle. Yeah, it has right. an established... That, that's one of those three skills or four skills yeah, now you yeah, have. Yeah. That was that was the second. Pals of the Privies up the park, that was the first. The way we described the, the community council was it was like a shipbuilding outfit. We'll build the ship, we'll identify the crew, we'll put the crew and we'll let the ship sail. So Pals of the Privies and the regeneration of the park, that was the first ship on your bike. And obviously the bike maintenance and we now have an established cycling hub mm -hmm. in the heart of the community, etc. So that essentially uh, was the second ship. Dartwood crew was the third ship. And yeah, so we, we've just continued to kind of build the ships, but it's all been, it shows the organic growth yes. And, and, and more importantly, the community-led nature of yeah. that organic growth. And the power of a good idea. Absolutely. We now, I mean, we now have kids. When I was a child, I was never off my bike. Yeah. Right? I, I don't know if that was a sign of the 80s or what. We were all on bikes in the 80s. I certainly don't remember ever being off my bike. Hmm. Now we've got kids, there's, there's bikes all over the place to the point we've had to install bike racks all over the community to accommodate Brilliant. them. Yeah. But they're readily yeah. used. Uh, you've got folk cycling to work. And again, it, for me, it's another demonstration of it exactly where we speak about active travel, we speak about uh, getting out the car and being more uh, healthy, tackling health inequalities. There's a very basic and practical example of how you do that, whilst at the same time actually tackling poverty. Yeah. <laughs> because people, people living in Fergusley Park who are perhaps on national minimum wage jobs, they are exactly the type of people who will absolutely cycle to work. 
yeah. who will absolutely take that greener or, or that active travel option, but they need to be empowered and enabled to do so. Yeah. We can't have them excluded because of capitalistic reasons, because if anyone is excluded from the climate change emergency for capitalistic reasons, then we're not looking at the climate change emergency properly. Definitely. And just on the subject of transport as well, Tyrett, a big one for me, uh, which I think would, would enhance working class communities immeasurably, um, it, it is like, it seems to be the the outcast of the fan. At the moment, it seems to be everything about universal basic income. But for me, it should be about universal basic services. And that is things like housing, transport, energy, food, this staple that makes life a dignified life. Um, and what I love about universal basic services is, so for me, universe, universal basic income, which is where everyone gets a certain amount every month put into their bank account, yeah? Um, yep. It does away with the benefit system. Listen, there's loads to be positive about that. But what, what the difference for me is universal basic income is a system that can only really exist in a capitalist system, whereas universal basic services can exist in a capitalist system, but it also has the potentiality to work in other systems that we can dream of. Yeah, and that's what I really like about it. Um, and also just on, on the transport issue as well. So it sounds like even though Fergusley, it doesn't seem to be directly linked to the airport, it sounds like maybe in the wider area, that airport is perhaps a job creator um, in the sense of it's probably the big, the biggest employer in that in that area. Now, when you said before that, unfortunately not for Fergusley, I understand the contradiction there because on the one hand, an airport is a high-polluting carbon industry. Yeah, it's not something that's really future-proof for a, for a healthy planet. However, working-class communities also have to balance that with income within a capitalist system. And it's also a system that has less and less safety nets for working-class people. So I completely understand at this time and place, Terry, where you, you say, unfortunately, it isn't employing people in my community, whilst also understanding that in the medium to long-term future, there has to be, for working-class people in high-carbon industries, a just transition, Absolutely. which I know you know about, in regard to, regards to taking these high-intensive carbon industries that are, that are big employers of working-class people, making sure that working-class people do not suffer when those industries are eventually dismantled. Absolutely. It takes me back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, if we don't focus on that, then we are literally repeating those same mistakes, those three previous attempts to regenerate a community. It's exactly the same circumstance. We're just looking at it through an environmental lens. But the outcomes, we run the risk of, of, of seeing the same outcomes, which is communities like Fergusley Park left behind. And I suppose that's, that's the point, or that's where the motivation for certainly the Reduce, Reuse, Recycle Fergusley initiative comes from. It's because that's the actual emergence and the active participation of a community like Fergusley Park in that circular economy, so that it's not th that term circular economy doesn't become the airy fairy abstract concept concept that climate change once was. Yeah, yeah. And that communities like Fergusley Park, and if you are familiar with the west of Scotland, there are a few others, Drum Chapel, Castle Milk, Easter House, which were all similar slices of bread from the same loaf as it yeah, were yeah. um 
who all have those same kind of social, uh, kind of historical, social persistent problems. Um, those communities will inevitably be left behind. And again, I reiterate that Extinction Rebellion do fantastic work. But one of one negative of what the work that I would say that I would kindly point out to them, because I don't want to be throwing stones at someone who I support. Um, yeah. But we need to make that whole climate change agenda accessible to working class people. Yeah. And I'm not sure that Extinction Rebellion are helping us in that, that aim. Yeah. Um, so and in many ask, ways, though, Terry, what, what you've proven is they don't need to help us because we can help ourselves, can't we? True, true. But I just think if, if we were all if we were all if we were all in the boat rowing yeah. in the same direction, yeah. it, it perhaps would make yeah, our, and I, our ultimate achieving the aim that wee bit more. I understand, uh, and, and I think you may agree with this. I think Extinction Rebellion are great at what they do and what they are trying to achieve. But like any group, you cannot be an all-encompassing group because it's too it's too big and too complex and too many levels to have one group do it all. So I I see a future where working class people empower ourselves. Yeah, yep, connect absolutely. with the climate crisis in our own language, in our own ideas, in our own ways. And we have allyships with groups like Extinction Rebellion. So it's yep. not necessarily one mass army all going, but it's 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 almost like squadrons that all meet absolutely. up when, when we need to meet up. But within our own communities, it's like, right, it's this is on us to do this part. They're doing their part. And I, and yep. I take my heart off to them. They're doing their part. They're Absolutely. going above and beyond what they're comfortable with and what they feel they can do, yeah. And now it's and now it's up to us, isn't it, Terry? It's up to the working class to... Uh, I, I think you're absolutely bang on. I think it's Extinction Rebellion are an organisation which is predominantly made up of a particular demogra demographic yeah. within our society. And that's perfectly fine because let's call a spade a spade. That tends to be the demographic who can actually affect positive change. Um, so they are... They find themselves within circles of people and influencers and decision makers where they can actually have an effect on that change. Whereas I've spoken, Fergusley Park as a community was pretty much locked out of its own regeneration process for 20 years. So what chance have we got to play a role in a, in a world regeneration yeah. process? Yeah. So uh, th th so there's, you're, you're absolutely right. It's about positioning, but yeah, it's about understanding that everyone around the table has a unique positioning and how do we get the most from that yeah, unique position exactly. and yeah. in terms of the formation of those alliances you're yeah. absolutely right i mean yeah. the way i see it terry is i don't know if you agree with this but i'm sure i'm sure you will do is that you know extinction rebellions and just the piles of this world they are they're the fire alarm yeah they're the yep. fire alarm of climate change but the working class, because of our numbers and our history and our association to the state we're the firefighters so they've played their part. They've 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 raised the fire alarm, yeah. But well, we're the firefighters. We have to come and make it because because it's us that do the work. Not necessarily all the work, but but the vast majority of the industrial work. We've yeah. got the numbers. You know, we used to state oppression because we know that that things don't change just through logic and reason. There has to be an element of of protest. There has to be an element of of pushing back on what's being oh, yeah. imposed on us. You know, yeah. and I think it's time that we take that stand now. Well, absolutely. I, I, again, you made a fantastic point there that I would I would like to echo, which is we've got the numbers. That that that's where we we are strong, and um, where we sometimes fall down. We've got the will, but sadly not the skill. And I suppose that's where we marry up those two 
different. I, I suppose that we can even equate that to the, the the cost of living crisis just now as well. So for someone like myself, who tends to be a kind of anti-poverty campaigner as well yeah. as an environmentalist, it, we, we more and more middle class people are now starting to be affected by poverty. So it gives a yeah, higher propensity for change. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it's and it's through the formation of those alliances, alliances that just wouldn't have existed before. I mean, look at even just at a local level here in Fergusley Park, we're part of a, a kind of triangular pact, if you like, with two other organisations who serve different communities in, in Renfrewshire in, it, in the same way, but in different ways. And some would argue are more leafy suburby, less less schemy, for want of a better phrase, more middle class. Now, So those, those alliances are already happening yeah. at a local level. You're right, it's at that national level, how do we foster that same mindset, that same willingness to come together? Uh, how do we facilitate that um, so that working class, middle class, and indeed, dare I say, the elite also actively play their role in the climate change, not just rhetorically, but actually play their active role in the climate change emergency? Yeah. Now, Terry, I really want people to come away from this episode feeling feeling more empowered about working in their own communities, including myself, mate, because because I have aspirations myself to, to, to for the full season that I'm recording to maybe come away and reflect and start doing some boots on the ground kind of work. Um, so I've got two important questions um, for you. The first one is, what was the hardest part of setting up your community project? What was the hardest part? I think the hardest part of setting up the community project was we had the will, but not the skill. Um, and what I mean by that is you you organise a, a clean-up of the park on the 4th of December 2017, I might add. We live in the west of Scotland, mate. I don't know if you've ever been up here, but certainly on the 4th of December, it's a bit cold. <laughs> uh, 45 people turned up. So this there was great. a... The, but it's the organising. So when you've got a group of people all willing, but maybe only one or two people with additional skill sets mm -hmm. like funding applications or familiarity yeah. with constitutions and memorandum of articles of association and the, and all the admin and all the bump back behind the scenes bump that accompanies that, that's that that was a problem. So that's where certainly I I suppose as an aspiring CLD practitioner, that was where my work tended to focus on building those capacities you're not raising a baby that you then need to give you're not giving birth to a baby that you then need to raise yourself for the rest of its life yeah it's about building that ship identifying the crew and letting the ship sail on not becoming all precious over your creation because if you become precious over your creation you'll suffocate it and it'll die and we have many examples over our 50 years history of regeneration in Fergusley to offer as examples, many examples um, that we could offer there. So I, it, for me, it's about empowering local people to identify their own solutions and see if you're living in circumstances that could be better. You will take advantage of any opportunity that's going to, to benefit that. Yeah. And accessing safe accessible green spaces, the community market, the growing area, the community-wide events with no cost attached, yeah. the coming into the Tannahall Centre for a slice of toast and a cup of tea on a cold morning. These are that's what's relevant to the people who live here. Yeah. So it's yeah. not about beating folks over us over the head with a, a climate change stick, because they would they wouldn't understand. They would just walk away. It's about demonstrating what 
climate change means to Fergusley Park. Yeah. What climate change means to our community means something entirely different to, I don't know, a, a community in, I don't know, the South Pacific, for example. So yeah. it, it's, it has different ramifications. So it needs to be described and explained in a way that's relevant to, to, to your audience. Yeah. So, so yeah, I like that. So just to be clear, so you can, you can start off with the will, meaning many people want to be involved, but it's it's really sort of highlighting where those specific skills are within the group or even skills you can get from outside the group to get things done in a in, in a quality way because it's not just about doing the work. You want it to be done at a, a level that's going to not only be decent in the short term, but the medium and, and the long term. Yeah, that's 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 really what you're saying for that first one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's it's about equipping people, uh, and sometimes that's just about holding their hand for a wee while yeah. until they become yeah. comfy in their role and, and and gain their bearing. So yeah, that that was the biggest barrier. But I mean, it, it was I wouldn't say it was easily overcome, but we managed to overcome it yeah. just with some kind of constant focus on it. Yeah, brilliant. So again, for the audience, it's it's about highlighting where the specific skills lie to empower the group. But the second one, Terry, you, you may, you've touched on it with, with that sort of answer, but again, just, just to sort of really nail it down. Um, now, this that bolt of lightning in that paper shop, you see that was in 2017, was it? It was, yeah. Yeah. So we're in 2023 now. So you've been at this for quite a while on it. So it's not just been a bit of a flash in the pan. So what's been the hardest part of keeping a community project going? That's the second question. Um, I suppose the hardest part for me on a personal basis um, would be learning that not everyone that you come into contact with aligns with your values i suppose okay. that's been the biggest struggle for me um i see people who use my community as a means of continuing to live in a lifestyle they've grown accustomed to but okay. don't actually bring anything of real value to the table mm-hmm. um i see unhealthy rivalries right um emerging between neighboring projects um, and, and groups and organisations which really just shouldn't exist because we're all doing the same job. Yeah, yeah. But again, yeah. it's that, I mean, Fergusley Park, if we could offer Fergusley Park as an example of anything, it can be the notion that community empowerment, true community empowerment will always be trumped by self-preservation. Mm-hmm. We've got a 60 years extensive history uh, to offer as, a, as a, a prime example of that. So I suppose that that was on a personal uh, basis that was the biggest i suppose kind of benchmark for me or a difficult hurdle to to, to properly get my head around why not everyone was motivated in the same way that i was but i suppose i live here i i've grown up here yeah i have an emotional investment these are people that i went to school with that i've, I've grown up with yeah. i've shared meals with so i, I I broke bread with, as it were. So I, I suppose I do have a higher level of emotional investment yeah. than perhaps some of the other CLD practitioners of the past. But um, from an organisational point of view, um, I suppose we're a victim of our own success. And um, when we regenerate a green space, which really should be regenerated by our local authority, it's as if the local authority almost kind of just thinks, oh, well, we don't need to worry about that anymore. They've got that under control. But in actual fact, we've just been looking to act as that kind of catalyst for change. But we end up, or have done a couple of times in times gone by, ended up holding the baby. So um, we've learned from that, though, and we've learned how to, to navigate that properly. 
uh, and build really positive working relationships with the local authority in order to have some of our legitimate concerns addressed in that respect, yeah. because yeah. there is a an appreciation that um, there's only so much a community can do. There's only so much you can ask a community yeah. to, to do. And when it's feeding the people and it's providing a social calendar for the people and it's regenerating its own green space and, in fact, is spearheading its, its entire community's ongoing maintenance programme, it really starts to raise questions. Well, what is, what, what what's the council? What's the local authority doing? What what, yeah. what are they doing? So that that's the reason, uh, or the the biggest barrier, I, I think, from an organisational point of view. In addition to we, another aspect of us becoming a victim of our own success, there simply isn't enough hours in the day. Uh, we have volunteers doing all sorts of crazy things every day of the week. We are a twenty four seven community. Um, it's no Monday to Friday, nine to five. I suppose to end in a positive, the work that we're doing in Fergusley Park, we've worked really hard to make sure that it's not a poor me party. Nobody wants to go to a poor me party. Mm-hmm. It needs to be, again, a celebration of the sustainable solutions identified by local people, tackling often historic and persistent problems like food insecurity, fuel poverty, but through that environmental lens, yeah. helping make climate change relevant to local need. Yeah, brilliant. You know what, Terry? We can't end on a better note than that. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me to, today, mate. And um, listen, keep me in the loop. I'd love to know more about Fergusley Park and um, the legend that's being created up there. Um, it sounds fantastic, <laughs> mate. And, and I hope people are inspired by that, by that community work and... Like I say, what I want people to get out of this this season is really about how can I, as a working class person in a poor community, how can I make tangible steps to make a better world? So again, Terry, thank you so much for coming on tonight, mate. No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Take care, Adam, okay? Thank you to my guest and a big thank you to everyone that's taken the time to listen. Please give the show a like and a share as it would mean a lot to me if you did. And I will leave you with this thought. If you identify as working class, you belong to a group that has the numbers, the resilience and the know-how to change the course of history. Something that our elders and ancestors have done many times before. And now, in the face of the greatest threat that mankind has ever known, it's time for us to get into the fight and change this world once again. Take care, everyone. We'd like to say a massive thank you to all our supporters on Patreon. And a special shout out to our top tier patrons, Barbara Burke, Yermont, Jill Burke, Jolyn Stone, Karen Taylor, Lizzie, Marie-Louise O'Hanrahan and Steve Smith. Thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to join these amazing people and support the show, head to patreon.com forward slash GND Media UK. And if you can't afford to help us out, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much.